the broken and the free. This is for those who are hurting. Hope and help is on the way. In these battles of addiction, when fear is chasing after me. trouble I am facing I will lift my hands and sing yes I will Thank you, music team, for that. 
It's good to see you this morning. Good to be here together on this uh, nice, beautiful day. This morning, we were, we were planning to, to uh, spend some time with some of our camp workers this morning, uh, but due to some uh, scheduling conflicts, we have pushed that to uh, a future week. Uh, but if you have served a camp this summer and, and um, no one has talked to you yet about sharing, we would love to find a space for you. Please talk to me. Camp was a huge part of my life, and I'm uh, excited for all those who are able to serve. And so we're hoping to hear from you soon. Stay tuned for that. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, verse 8. We are in a sermon series that we are calling Nurturing a Culture of Goodness. And over the course of this series, we are exploring seven different themes or, or expressions of goodness. And so two weeks ago... Uh, I shared about empathy as being one of the ways that we nurture this culture of goodness. And then last week, Pastor Garth spoke on grace. And this morning, uh, we're going to explore the topic of justice. And so as I've been exploring this topic this past week, I've discovered justice is a huge topic. And so we're going to tackle a certain element of it this morning. But justice, how pursuing justice, how, how living justly helps to nurture this culture of goodness. And so what is justice? Justice means to do the right thing. But in order to do the right thing, uh, we need to know what the standard is. What is the right thing? How do you measure that? And so every country, they they have laws that kind of lay out the expectation of, of what is right. And in the church, as followers of Jesus... Uh, we proclaim Jesus as Lord. And he is the one who determines what is right and what is good. And so we seek to live according to his word, the Bible. Now one of the words the Bible often uses to describe justice is the word righteous. Now when it comes to justice, there are kind of like there's two sides. There's There's a negative side and there's a positive side. The negative side of justice means to to punish uh, or to discipline the wrongdoer. When a person chooses to break the law by by taking something that doesn't belong to them or or hurting someone for whatever reason, there needs to be consequences, right? It's one of the ways that we seek to protect people. But those consequences, they also need to be fair and right. Right? And so the punishment must fit the crime. That's justice. It shouldn't exceed it. It shouldn't be too minimal. However, justice also has a positive side. To do right for someone. Justice means to lift up the oppressed. To empower the weak. To give dignity and care for the downtrodden. To be an advocate for those who lack the power or ability. Essentially, it means to treat people as you want to be treated. Now, Jesus, he speaks to this in Matthew chapter 25, uh, 35 to 36, and he says, To act justly means to feed the hungry and to invite the stranger and to clothe and care for the sick and the needy and to visit those in prison. Justice means to do what is right, especially to do right for someone. 
Now, sometimes, especially for those in places of privilege, uh, it can be sometimes difficult to notice those who need to be lifted up. Uh, it, it really requires us to practice empathy and to, to be humble because it, it means to think of others and to put ourselves in the other person's shoes. It requires wisdom. It requires a heart of love. And it is this positive side of justice that we're going to primarily focus on this morning. Now, tragically, throughout human history, uh, history is littered with all kinds of injustices, with atrocities and genocides and all kinds of stuff like that. And if you were to take a look throughout human history at some of the worst injustices that have taken place, there's a common theme that you will notice. And I won't, I'm not going to go into all the gory details, I'm trying to keep this rated PG here, but I think of some of the, uh, the awful persecution that took place that the early Christians endured in first century Rome. The Christians, they were blamed for a lot of the problems, uh, they were looked down on for being different, and many of them were killed in some very gruesome ways. I think of the Holocaust in World War II and some of the unspeakable things that the Nazis did to, well, specifically to, to many of the Jews. I think of slavery. I think of the modern form of slavery today that is human trafficking. Uh, I think of the genocides that have taken place. Uh, the one, the Cambodia comes to mind in the 70s, Rwanda 1994. I think of the Uyghur people in China today. And this past Friday was the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. And I think of the Indian Act and the, the unjust ways that many of the First Nation people have been treated here in Canada. And we ask, how can people treat one another uh, so unfairly, so unjustly, in ways that we would never want to be treated ourselves? How is it that people are able to excuse or to justify such behavior toward others? And it begins by dehumanizing that group of people, by labeling them or, or categorizing them, or reducing them to a single characteristic. They're lazy. They're uncivilized. They're second class. Uh, they're arrogant. They're addicts. They're trouble, they're worthless, they don't contribute to society. Another way that dehumanizing takes place is when someone blames someone or, or a group of people for all of their problems. And if someone does something like that enough, it becomes kind of a, a, a small step to assume that they are the problem. And they need to be removed or eliminated regardless of what it takes. In other words... To dehumanize is to treat someone as less than human, as less important, as less valuable, as if they have less intrinsic value. Now, why is justice for all people so important? Because God has made all people in his own image. In Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, the first chapter in the Bible, we see how God has made all people in his own image. So this is the creation account. After God made the earth and the sea and the vegetation and the animals, verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, 
over the livestock and all the wild animals, over the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God has stamped his own image on all people. And therefore, all people have great intrinsic worth and value. This is what our statement of faith says. It says, we believe that God created human beings, both male and female, in his own image. Therefore, every human life is sacred from conception to death and must be protected regardless of age, ability, or stage of development. That's what we believe. But you know, I was thinking about people who think that they are better than others. And if there was any group that, uh, I mean, many groups have thought this, but if there was any group that, that thought that they could have thought they were better than others, it could have been the Israelites. And this isn't because that they were like the, the biggest or most powerful, but because they were God's chosen people. But God's chosen people for what purpose? You see, God had called the Israelite people to be a light to the world, to be the group through which the world might know the living God. They were to be a witness. Now, in the, in the first six books of the Bible, through Genesis all the way through Joshua, one of the major themes that you will find is this mission to bring the Israelites into their own land, in, into the promised land. Do you know what is so special about the promised land? I traveled to Israel in 2019, and here's a little bit of what I learned. The promised land, it wasn't the most fertile. It wasn't full of the most natural resources. It wasn't the largest. It wasn't the most easy to defend. What made it so special was its geographical location. It was the place through which many nations and people groups would travel. God had primed them to be a light to the world. So take a look at the map on the screen behind me. Its location kind of makes it a land bridge between three continents. Africa's only land bridge to Asia and to Europe runs through what is today modern-day Israel. Uh, you, you, you might see that part in the southeast, but that's like the impassable desert. So people wouldn't travel through the desert, they'd travel through what is Israel. And if God wanted to make himself known throughout the ancient world, before planes and all that, this would have been the ideal place to do it from. Ezekiel 5 verse 5 says, This is Jerusalem. I have set her in the center of the nations with countries all around her. Now for all those who would travel through, for those who would make their home in Israel, listen to how God calls his people to treat those whom they would come into contact with. This is Exodus 22, verse 21. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner because you were foreigners in Egypt. Exodus 23, verse 9. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. And then he goes a step further. Love them as yourself. 
for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Are you seeing it? God sees all people. God loves all people. And God cares very deeply about how we treat all people. And like any place, it's the foreigners who are the most prone to be treated poorly and be taken advantage of. And so God had some pretty stern words for them. And God says, you're not going to mistreat them here. You will treat them with love and with dignity just as you want to be treated. Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 19. For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Now, unfortunately, if you read through Scripture, through the historical books, uh, through the prophets, you will see that Israel, they failed a lot at living up to the standard that God had called them to. And many people did not treat people as they should. Not only that, but Israel also encountered many times throughout their history when they were oppressed by people in power. But if we look through Scripture, we can see just how important uh, it is, how justice is important, and how we treat people. And so, how does the gospel motivate us to genuinely pursue justice for others? To lift up the needy, to defend and care for and advocate for the oppressed. That's the angle that I'm, I want to explore with you this morning. How does the gospel motivate us to act justly. I remember this scenario that I found myself back when I was in high school. I was eating lunch at this, uh, this table with some people, and then there was one guy who was sitting at the table behind me eating lunch with some of my friends, and I guess, I guess they were kind of his friends too. And he turned around and he started making these, these horribly crude comments or I guess jokes he thought they were, uh, toward me. And I don't, I'd never heard such filthy comments and thoughts in my whole life. And I tried to ignore it for a bit, but it was increasingly hard to ignore. It was kind of embarrassing. And I did not walk away. I probably should have. But I didn't for two reasons. One, I played hockey with the guy and I knew this would kind of continue to follow me if it wasn't resolved. And two, if I'm honest, I was too proud. And so I used my words and I insulted him back. I wish I was joking, but no, that's what happened. But if you've ever encountered stuff like that, you know that it just kind of escalates things and it just keeps it going. And that's what happened. And my anger, oh man, it started to rise. And I felt, well, I began to resort to to verbal threats. And when that didn't work, I finally opted for physical force. I'll spare you the details. But this, it finally got him to stop and to leave. But you know, for probably about 10 years, I wrestled with that moment. What should I have done? 
especially with someone who was just so crude and ignorant. And my friends, they were sitting at the table. They, they commended me for, for, for what I did, thinking that this was the only thing that would have actually worked with, something, with someone like this. Because, I mean, using reason or, or walking away or having meetings, man, they just don't change people very easily. Most people in high school know that. But it felt wrong, and I knew it was wrong. Using violence is not what Jesus did. It's not what he calls us to do. Not to mention, that action nearly got me into trouble with other people uh, eventually. But ten plus years later, the, the answer finally hit me. See, I was so focused on, on what I should have done that I, I missed the best possible solution to this scenario. I needed an advocate. I needed one of my friends who were sitting at that table with that guy to step into the gap and have the courage to say, that's enough. That's not funny, and these comments are not welcomed here. Because it was the audience that was kind of fueling the comments. And to show justice is to advocate for the oppressed. I needed an advocate, someone who was for me and who would be willing to support me, even at the risk of becoming a future target. And this is a hard thing for us to do. It takes a lot of wisdom and discernment and courage. And you know what? This is what Jesus has done for you and for me. He stepped into the gap for us. You see, God did not leave his people and his creation without hope nor without help. And he sent us his son, God in the flesh, into our world, into our existence, into our troubles. And Jesus showed us what justice looks like, what it looks like to be for people. In Luke 4, 18-19, Jesus quoted Isaiah 61 as a preview of why he came. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was on a rescue mission. He was for his people. And throughout the Gospels, we see the goodness of God expressed in the person of Jesus. And we see how Jesus lifted up the lowly. He didn't make these like grand political statements, nor was his goal to, to start a social justice movement. Instead, Jesus came to bring something so much bigger, the kingdom of God. And he taught the people how to live justly and to care for the poor and those considered the least of these. And he taught and he showed us who our neighbor is and how we should show dignity and, and love toward them. And Jesus modeled it. Right? He led with action. And he gave time to the less fortunate. He spent time with and he restored and he healed the sick and the lonely and the despised. He showed honor to the poor. And it was to the Pharisees that Jesus reserved his harshest criticisms and rebuke. For they were the ones who were putting the heavy burdens on the poor and the less fortunate. 
And throughout Scripture, we, we see how God has always had his heart toward the poor, toward the weak and toward the least of these. But in the person of Jesus, we see how, how God literally identified with the poor and for all those who've been taken advantage of. Jesus was born to parents who were poor. He was born in the lowliest of places, right? A stable intended for animals. And throughout his life, Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, he identified with, with all those who have suffered injustice. He endured an unfair trial with false witnesses. He was unjustly mocked and beaten. He was crucified unjustly. And while he could have commanded an army of angels at the snap of his fingers, he chose to endure that suffering and that injustice. He chose to identify with all those who have and would suffer injustice. And he did that for you and for me. If you have suffered injustice, know that Jesus understands. And there have been, like I mentioned before, there, there have been all kinds of awful injustices that have taken place throughout history. And I've shared a few right before, but, but there is an injustice that is greater than all of those. The greatest injustice is that we have not treated our loving, almighty creator as we should. Every one of us has rebelled against our maker, against the creator of the universe. And we have all at one point or another, rejected God and chosen sin. Be it our pride or, or selfishness or greed or lust or whatever, whatever it is, we have all, we've all tried to be our own gods, to live our own way. Not only that, but we've also mistreated people in our lives, people who've been made in the image of God. And to rebel against God in this way deserves nothing short of death and eternal separation from God but God is love. And Jesus, God in the flesh, he embodied love more fully and more beautifully than anyone who has ever walked this earth. And our great enemy, the devil, the one who is always against us, accusing us, Jesus stood in the gap for us. And he took everything that Satan could ever throw at us. He took it. He took the false accusations. He took the temptation. He took the betrayal. And Jesus went one step further. He took our sin and the death we deserve. But our Lord and our Savior, he did not stay dead. He triumphed over our great enemy when God raised him from the dead. And when we put our faith in Jesus, when we give our allegiance to Jesus, he gives us his righteousness. It's a trade. We are justified. We are made right with God, and God welcomes us into his family and invites us to join him in his kingdom work, right? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. Jesus is our advocate, and God is calling us to act justly and be that advocate for others, to be someone who will step into the gap for someone else. But we need the right motivation. We need the right perspective. You see, acting justly and pursuing justice for people has never been an easy thing to do. It's uncomfortable. It takes courage. 
It means to look beyond ourselves and to the need of others. But it is especially hard for us when we feel superior to others. But the gospel, the gospel levels the field. Because the gospel reminds us that that we are no better than anyone else. Every one of us who has received Jesus knows that they are a sinner who has been saved by grace alone. And in those verses I shared earlier about how God instructed the people to treat the foreigners the same as their own, there was always this reminder to remember where they came from, that they were slaves in Egypt. Remember that. Remember where you've come from. Remember what has been done for you. Let that perspective shape and remind you how to treat and love and show justice and fairness to those in your life. Because you know what it felt like to be treated unjustly. Right? And that same message is true for you and for me as well. And there are countless examples of how we can act justly and advocate for others in our lives. Right? It would be good to chat about that later with some people, about people in your life that you can be an advocate for. But my mission this morning is to focus on our motivation for living justly. What is our motivation to pursue justice for people in our lives? What should be our motivation to help the needy, to visit the sick, to show dignity and respect to the oppressed, to be an advocate? Because if you spend time on, in the news or in social media, you will likely see the promotion of all kinds of social justice issues. Uh, there are, they are everywhere. Um, here's a few examples of the social justice issues. There's the climate change. You've probably heard a lot about that. Uh, racial injustice, the refugee crisis, gun violence, gender inequality, poverty, homelessness. The list goes on. And then there's also specifics within each of those categories. And one way that people try to motivate others is by shaming people on social media. Right? Laying on the guilt. Right? Some of these causes can lay on the guilt pretty hard. But if you're like me, it's pretty hard to motivate someone to really care through guilt trips. I find it exhausting. And so how do you motivate people? Tim Keller says, it's not through duty, but through beauty. Duty is a means to an end. It's self-absorbed. Duty is, how do I get these social media people off my back? Duty is, what do I have to do to feel good about myself and, and be able to sleep at night? Instead, be captured by beauty rather than duty. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember the cross. Remember our Savior who endured suffering and death so great that it will take us an eternity to really fully grasp that. Jesus did that for you. He endured that injustice for you. He stood in the gap for you. Let that be your motivation. Be captured by the beauty of the gospel, by what Jesus has done for you. Be captured by beauty rather than duty. Because beauty is satisfying in itself. It, beauty draws us in. See, the gospel is that beauty that we need to immerse ourselves in. And when you get that, when, when you capture what Jesus has done for you, when you're captivated by the beauty of Jesus, 
then our response is just to let that overflow in our lives and extend that to others. That's what Jesus wants us to do, or to pay it forward to others. Be captured by beauty rather than duty. Pray for the eyes to see people as Jesus does. You know, there are so many issues in the world today, and it is impossible to jump on the bandwagon of all of them, nor do I think uh, we should try to be passionate about all those different issues. Rather, notice what Jesus did. Jesus always had an eye out for those who were struggling and needed help. Be an advocate for the people that Jesus has put along your path. And at SEMC, one of our core values is all people. All people. And as a church, one of the ways that we are seeking to lift up the oppressed is by, by raising funds for, uh, to bring this Christian Afghan refugee family here to Steinbeck. That's one of the ways that we are seeking to, to lift up some of the oppressed. And these Christian refugees, they're some of the persecuted of the persecuted. And therefore, we are seeking to advocate for them and to act justly on their behalf in this way. Uh, another way that we are seeking to act justly in the world is by caring for the children at OHE. And this is the orphanage in the Congo that we support. And we, we can't tackle every, every issue in the world, but we do believe that God has called us uh, to these areas. God has led us to be involved in these areas. And so thank you for, for being a part of that. And the question we ask is, to whom is God leading us next? And that is a question for you to ask. As you go throughout your day, as you encounter people, to whom is God leading me next? Who can I be for? And when it comes to living justly in this world, be captured by the beauty of Jesus. And let the wonder of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for you, let that shape your perspective and your attitude toward others, especially toward those who need help, who need to be lifted up, who need an advocate. Because when we act justly, when we advocate for others, we become partners with God and his kingdom work. And what a joy and a privilege that is. I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, that you are good. And that you have, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you, that you came to this world, that you gave yourself to us, that you acted justly, that you were an advocate for us. And so God, we pray that you would let that, that, that would shape our perspectives. Lord, that we would grow more in love with you, that we would seek to love others, that we'd be a people who show justice. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together again. If you're willing and able, join us by standing. Brother, sister, let me serve you. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I might have the grace to let me be your servant too. We are pilgrims on a journey. We're together on this road. We are here to help you. Walk the mountain, bear the Lord. 
Thank you all for joining us this morning. Uh, to stay in touch, you can check out the bulletin or our website. Um, and to view past sermons, you can check out YouTube or your favorite podcast app. Um, for some next steps, we invite you to stay connected. Um, we've been intentional about creating space um, before and after the service to connect with one another. So, yeah, don't. Uh, we invite you to not leave too quickly, to stick around, connect with people. Um, and yeah, our benediction for this morning is... From Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.